0: Hey, thanks for listening to Sprawlcast. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a Sprawl member today. We rely on our readers and listeners to support the journalism we do. You can sign up at SprawlCalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, and we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Treaty 7 territory. Sprawlcast is a show for curious Calgarians who want more than the daily news grind. We don't do press release journalism, and we go deep to bring you stories and conversations you won't hear anywhere else conversations like this one A few months ago I did a series of sprawl casts on the idea of neighborhood looking at how we can strengthen the fabric of our neighborhoods in a time of division and alienation I think about this question a lot but all of those conversations happened in the inner city East Village in Calgary Commercial Drive in Vancouver, and Old Strathcona in Edmonton. I gleaned a lot of insights from those conversations, and I hope you did too. But I'm also curious about how folks in the suburbs experience their neighborhoods. Is it harder or easier to strengthen community in the suburbs than it is in the inner city? I live fairly close to downtown, and I often tend to think of the suburbs as lonely and isolating places. And I often hear from sprawl listeners and readers about this, that this is a one-dimensional, simplistic portrayal of the burbs that doesn't actually reflect the lived experience of the folks who live there. I think that's a fair point, and something I'm keen to explore, the ways in which the realities of the suburbs differ from the stereotypes. I think those stereotypes are being challenged in all kinds of ways nowadays. I think of TV shows like CBC's Run the Burbs, which portrays life in the suburbs as a lot more textured than the cliché of disappearing into a garage at the end of a workday and not emerging again till the next morning. You see relationships, you see tensions, you see neighbours who know each other and are negotiating life together. On a side note, I gotta get Andrew Fung to come on to Sprawlcast to chat about this, I've been meaning to reach out to him. I gotta make that happen. Anyway, for this sprawl cast, I went into the far southeast, into Ward 12, to the neighborhood of Mahogany. I'd heard of it before, but I don't think I'd been there. It was a long drive from my neighborhood of Renfrew, almost half an hour. Mahogany sits on the easternmost edge of the city.
1: Ever wonder what it is that makes mahogany so different from every other Calgary community? The answer is simple. Everything. Everything you want to need in a new community
0: is waiting for you here. This is a marketing video from Hopewell, the Calgary-based developer that started building mahogany a decade and a half ago. City Council approved the mahogany community plan in 2006. At the time, the developer envisioned a neighborhood that would eventually be connected to the rest of the city via LRT. Mahogany is along the Green Line route, close to its southern end. The developer proposed a neighborhood with a private lake that would serve as both a spot for recreation and a gathering place, complete with a sandy beach. The idea was that the neighborhood would be a place to live, work, and play in the parlance of our time.
1: Come and build the castle that makes you feel right at home. Where the city's best lifestyle is making waves. Where you'll find the conveniences you need. And the amenities you love, all in one place. And where connections come naturally. In a community that turns neighbors into friends.
0: All right, so that's a bit of the marketing material, but let's take a closer look at Mahogany. The city has put together community profiles based on data from the 2016 census, which gives insight into the demographics of each neighborhood in Calgary. And Mahogany is a relatively affluent community. Household incomes were quite a bit higher than the city as a whole. 136,000 in Mahogany compared to 97,000 citywide. One in four people in Mahogany was an immigrant. Unsurprisingly, 90% of mahoganites used a car to get to work. And the vast majority of people in Mahogany were homeowners. Only 7% were renters. Now, again, this data is from 2016, so it's getting a little dated at this point. But it gives you the rough strokes. I went to Mahogany to speak with Councillor Evan Spencer... He's one of nine rookie city councilors who were elected last October. And while that's interesting, that's actually not what I wanted to talk to him about. Before being elected, Spencer was a community organizer. He was involved with the Homeowners Association in Mahogany and spearheaded a project called Abundant Community. It's based on a book called The Abundant Community by John McKnight and Peter Block. It's a worthwhile book. A short read, and the thesis is basically that the power of our neighborhoods sits dormant and needs to be awakened. Our neighborhoods, they write, can sustain our health, help us raise children, take care of the marginalized among us, and more. But they observe that this power is silent on most streets where we live. We've gone from being citizens to being consumers, and instead of looking to our neighbors for help with our needs, everything from when we need a cup of flour to when we need advice regarding personal struggles, we often default to companies and professionals. Our neighborhoods, they write, have become incompetent in providing for our most basic human needs, and we're all poorer for it. So what to do about this? The good news, they write, is that what we need is already right beside us. It just needs to be activated. The people who live around us have gifts, and so do each of us. It's just that we're often not sharing them with each other in the neighborhood. So we have to resist domination of a consumer society and reweave that social fabric. McKnight and Block envision neighborhoods where there's a lively sharing of gifts for the benefit of all, creating streets where there's relationship, genuine encounter, and surprise, instead of the flat emptiness of modern life. This is what they mean by abundant community. I spoke with Councillor Evan Spencer in Mahogany on a frosty winter day. We met outside a new lakeside complex called Westman Village, a high-density mix of condos, shops, and restaurants built by another Calgary developer, Jaminbilt. And as we walked by the lake, Evan told me about how he moved to mahogany with his family seven years ago. At the time, he was a pastor for Bow Valley Christian Church, and he moved here as part of a church planting experiment. The whole, I,
1: one of the ways that this place is designed that kind of captivated us and is really exciting about it is it's, it's created to draw people to these central gathering places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually get depressed sometimes now when I drive through other suburban neighborhoods that haven't put that kind of thoughtfulness into the design and it's just row upon row upon row of houses. You don't have to spend much time in Mahogany to get a sense of it. It's designed to create a certain certain style of mm-hmm. life and living.
0: As you can hear, Spencer is an enthusiastic community booster who has no qualms about praising Mahogany's developers. I'd hope to get a bit more of a tour from him but it had snowed the night before, and we were descended upon by a host of leaf blowers.
1: You uh, gotta walk past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, <laughs> okay.
0: I'm gonna do a sprawlcast on leaf blowers at some time, so I'm just getting, <laughs> this is good. good. I'm just getting my audio. There you go. <laughs> Don't get me started on leaf blowers. Anyway, we retreated into Analog, a coffee shop in Westman Village, And there, I spoke with Councillor Spencer about abundant community, how to build connection in new neighbourhoods, and the realities versus the myths of the suburbs. All right, well, uh,
1: Councillor Evan Spencer, great to meet you here today. Nice to meet you, Jeremy, this is exciting. I've uh, listened to you for quite a while and uh, it's amazing to be a part of this kind of a conversation.
0: Yeah, and it's neat to come down here to a part of the city that I've never been to before. These foreign lands,
1: I, you know, it, it is its own. It's it's it's, its own thing. Uh, I grew up in North Calgary and seldom came south. So um, discovering it felt it didn't feel like I was in the same city. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: To start, uh, one thing that I know you're interested in uh, and has kind of shaped your life down here is this idea of abundant community. How did you come to that concept and what was that kind of journey and experience like?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so uh, the, the idea of abundant community um, was one that was kind of brokered to me through conversation with people that I trusted. Uh, I'm, when I think of the kind of life that most people... Endeavor to live. They want one that that feels that feels a sense of joy and excitement. Of it has room to breathe, and and that's not the experience of so many people. Uh, you know, they feel stretched thin. Uh, they're working many hours. They've got all kinds of things on the calendar that they they essentially are getting through life instead of settling into an enjoying life. Uh, so it. I mean that that would have been the angle upon which we kind of grabbed onto it and in particular here in this neighborhood of mahogany we wanted to live a more integrated uh life where the people that we 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 did a lot of those things that would be on the calendar uh we would do it with the same people as as often as possible so uh, recreation work um working together on on things to like like uh, community work, volunteer work, we wanted that in a close proximity and uh, so that conversation dovetailed with this idea of an abundant community and a, a a place where you could explore all the possibilities instead of getting stuck on and focused on what was wrong with a place and that that was kind of what ushered us into that conversation and got us excited about exploring it mm-hmm. and when when you say us are you are you f- referring to your family or yeah, certainly my family. So, my wife and kids, and uh, but then I also I moved into this neighborhood with uh, some other families. So, um, this was a conversation that had um, probably two, three, and in some cases five years run you know runway ahead of it before we decided to make this change and sell our homes where we lived, kind of scattered across the city, and all of us moved together. So we actually ended up with four families on one street together very intentionally we all bought it at the same time uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live next door and we share a backyard and we got an apple tree right on the property line uh kind of as a to symbolize that we're committed to this for the long haul and yeah it was it was something that we wanted to do together so hmm.
0: and so when you arrived here uh i mean you weren't arriving as a total total stranger in the neighborhood
1: yeah for sure i like this is, when we decided when we picked uh mahogany we we got involved right away um and that one of the gifts of some of these newer neighborhoods is they have these homeowners associations so we reached out early on and uh, we're sitting down with a gal named linda knight who is hired by the developer to kind of create community so she had done that on you know the same track that happens in so many places you have um, associational life you have a committee that's dealing with you know doing youth programming you have a committee that's um, taking care of the dinner club you have a committee that is taking care of uh, safety issues I I got involved in that mechanism right away and pulled some of the families that we moved into the neighborhood to get involved right away and that that brokered relationship right away and not only that it also uh, helped us feel a sense of ownership and agency in the neighborhood right from the get-go. So before, I, had, I was, I'd lived in my neighborhoods. I participated in you know, church life. I participated in clubs. I participated in these things, but it wasn't con- directly connected to where I lived. Oftentimes, I was driving 15, 20 minutes to go participate in those things, and this was the first time in my life where all of that was connected to one place. Uh, and it was, it's rich. It continues to be a rich experience. Mm-hmm. And that
0: seems like a difficult thing to do, to have it all in one place uh, in a city like Calgary. Obviously the decision to like do this with some other families helped with that. that. But I'm curious, like what, what about this neighborhood in particular, like did you and uh, these other families kind of look at the lay of the land, different communities in Calgary, like what, you know, which, where do we want to go kind of thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, so the built environment was huge for us when we got here. Uh, it, it showed us that there was some intention to the design that was, in a, to a certain degree, in alignment with the kind of lives we were hoping to build together. So when we got here and saw a lake right in the middle of the neighborhood, and, and heard about the dream of this clubhouse right in the middle of the neighborhood that was going to draw people to it, uh, it was easy to connect the dots. That you know, it, that was going to be powerful. You know, it was going to uh, enable some of the dreams that we, had, we were carrying. So then when we came to the neighborhood, and they had essentially rolled out a red carpet to get involved. Uh, One of the things that was kind of unique about this neighborhood was they had some money set aside. Uh, The developer had made sure that um, the volunteers were well-funded. So when we got here, if you carried a dream of a dinner club, you weren't on your own. You didn't have to go out and get funding. You didn't have to, like, you just aligned yourself with... This dream of a, a life together in this neighborhood and small town feel and, and all of a sudden uh, your dreams were being nurtured and money was being put behind it and organizational power was being put behind it and you became the hero in this new emerging neighborhood of, of bringing something to it mm-hmm. uh, and I think that was, that was in hugely, hugely influ- influential on a whole variety of families and some of my best friends now are people that I met that were wrapped up in In that volunteer mechanism in this neighborhood and mm-hmm. and giving their gifts to the neighborhood and it it absolutely propelled me and uh, it gave me a, a foundation upon which to enact all the dreams of of an abundant community uh, of an idea of where where you live can be a place of that gives you what you need and that you can give the best of yourself to
0: mm-hmm. <clears throat> and d- Do you think that is easier or more difficult to do in the suburbs versus the inner city? Because I find that to be an interesting uh, question. You know, people like myself who live in the inner city, we tend to think, you know, those ties are more... They're easier to form in the inner city because of close proximity and, you know, you can more easily get around by sustainable transportation and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean... To me, who lives in the inner, inner city, like we're in, I'm in the far reaches of the city, so I'm I'm curious how you see that in terms of you know how easy it is to do in the suburbs and and what are some of the challenges there or maybe some of the the gifts uh,
1: that are there. Yeah, great question. I think you're right. It is it's more difficult to sustain, I think, because again, like the built environment does shape how we live our lives. Um, and so, you know, that that idea of, of the front-drive-attached um, garage home where the family drives in, they park their car, and they don't even have to wave to their neighbors. They can do their entire life basically insulated from the people around them. Um, you know, this is interesting. Uh, one of the anecdotes I think of here in Mahogany is this is one of those places people come just before they save up enough money to go to acreages. It's, I've, I've met quite a few great families that have kind of come to Mahogany and they have the big home and then they move out and it's almost like these ever-increasing isolation right it's a it's a pro, it's a journey from the inner city out to having your own kingdom out uh in the, in the outlying suburbs of Calgary uh, in the regional areas around Calgary I, I think it's harder to find and it's harder to sustain that kind of community but with great intention you can you can do incredible things in the suburbs I mean it's the kinds of block parties that happen, um, the kinds of opportunities to connect families together and, and build amazing uh, long-term kind of, so you can, because, because the, the environment is still malleable and the culture of an emerging neighborhood is still malleable, I, I think it's, I mean, it, the, the barrier to entry is a little bit lower, right? In terms of getting involved and starting that bird watching club, and and all of a sudden becoming a known member in the neighborhood, that's that's bringing that gift to the neighborhood. That bar is lower. Whereas like in the the, the inner city, I mean, you have Inglewood Bird Sanctuary. You have all. If you're going to become a known character in that world, you got to be at that for like 40 years and like have a PhD <laughs> before you're kind of. But in in the suburbs, if you have a gift to give. That barrier to entry in terms of being somebody that's looked to and, and celebrated for bringing that gift I think is a little bit lower hmm. and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that can nurture civic participation in some ways and that certainly aligns with my journey mm-hmm. like I came started giving my gifts here in the neighborhood and people were quite appreciative of that and they kept entrusting me with more and more responsibility uh, I didn't have you know a PhD in, in urban uh, sociology, like our now mayor, Kontak. Right, I, I, I was encouraged and nurtured into civic life in a way that I probably wouldn't have been anywhere else in this city. So while it definitely, I think it's harder to find it and sustain it, it also provides some interesting access points uh, to civic life. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's something I wouldn't have thought of, but it makes sense in a in a newer community that all those kind of social bonds are. They're just taking taking shape, right, in the culture of the neighbourhood. The abundant community group, so there, there is or was, as I understand it, an abundant community group out here. Can you just tell me a bit about how that got started and what, what
1: the idea was? Yeah, for sure. So I stumbled across uh, some of the work that was being done up in Edmonton. So they, there's a fellow up there by the name of Howard Lawrence who, uh, in his own neighbourhood, uh, became very compelled by what could happen if he very intentionally started to connect his neighbors and map the gifts that they carried. So he took his own street and um, essentially enacted on some thought work that comes out of the states called asset-based community development. And then he watched how it transformed his street. And as he was doing that, he was also engaging with leaders in the municipal space in Edmonton. And they became so compelled by that story and what happened on his street, that they actually started to build a framework upon which this could be used to nurture that in other geographical, on other streets and in other places in the city. And then it ended up becoming a program that they run. So as, as he was doing that, he was then getting called to uh, all kinds of conferences to talk about the work that was happening. And I just got caught up in that. Um, he would have been down here at a Choosewell um, associations meeting and I, I went and, and participated in it and and what was what was great is it came with a, a playbook essentially like the city had spent the resources to map out how you start one of these and some of the pieces that needed to come together and and I'm a cockeyed optimist kind of guy like what could go wrong kind of guy so I grabbed that playbook and I just started tackling the to-do list and uh, ended up applying and I think to this point i'm the only one in the southern region of alberta that was given money got grant money to set that up so that was my job for a year uh, i got to uh, nurture that idea of what what happens when a street connects well and you create a community of care at a block level and of course i was experiencing that leading up to it so i had some stories of my own to tell and 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 then obviously covid hit <laughs> and I got, sucked into, I got sucked into Councillor Keating's office, and now I'm on a whole new journey. So it's kind of on ice a little bit right now, uh, but certainly lots of great learnings along the way. And I'm really excited to see what its next stage of evolution will be here in the neighbourhood and, and more. So I'm really excited at the possibility that something similar can happen in our own, uh, our own governance structures here in Calgary, uh, to speak about the value and to nurture the value of neighbouring here in Calgary.
0: Yeah, I mean I was thinking about that earlier this week like the for example the Snow Angel program. I don't know if the city still has that, but the idea of, you know, you shovel your neighbor your neighbor's sidewalk if they can't and that kind of thing. One of the points in that book, The Abundant Community. I'm only part way through, but I I find it interesting like they talk about how you know, communities have become incompetent, by which they mean you know they don't fulfill basic human functions for us they don't th- those networks of support you know supporting the health of people all that kind of stuff and so it is an interesting question of you know if the city wants to do a program like that are is the social th- yeah the social fabric thick enough to support that
1: yeah oh i look I, I think probably not in lots of different places of our, of our city. But one of, the, one of the things that's amazing about Alberta in particular and then obviously Calgary is we have this long lauded history of real incredible volunteerism um, through our community leagues and Edmonton community associations here in Calgary. I think we're at a stage where they've probably been a little underserved, under-resourced their stories haven't been told the way. I mean, we have amazing organizations like F, um, like Federation of Calgary Communities, um, celebrating volunteers that are doing amazing work. But the municipality, I think, one of the things that it can do is is shape culture, just by the kinds of conversations we have uh, in the council chambers, and the kinds of resources that we make available to Calgarians to. Feel a sense of ownership and get involved. Similar, like I equate it right back to that when I came to this neighborhood and there was a little pot of money available for me, that that really expedited my journey of feeling connected and involved and being given agency in my neighborhood. I think the city can do that potentially at a, at a much larger level. So, I mean, I'm quite optimistic that that social fabric is. I mean, it's probably not as weak as we think in, in a lot of places, but can very quickly we can put some new layers of weave into that very quickly if it becomes if it becomes something that we we focus on and care about mm-hmm. so i mean seeing seeing your new podcast you know mighty neighborly pop up was one of those moments where it's like yes you know like this conversation hitting news and hitting media and becoming a part of our collective conversation in the city I think is a big link in that chain Mm -hmm. and and so thank you for taking a step into this and I'm hope I'm I'm optimistic I'm hopeful that this is going to be like our fabric is going to be a lot more resilient in the years to come Mm -hmm. yeah
0: I'm curious like when you when you look at you know you talked about the gifts of people on the street I think you It was the phrase you used, like the the different gifts that people have. Is it difficult to get people to think in those terms and to, to shift out of kind of this consumer mindset? So like if I need something and I have enough money, I can pay professionals to do this or that or fix my door or whatever. Whatever little need I have, the market can satisfy it. And, and what you're talking about is something different where pe- people are going to each other. Is that difficult to shift people's mindset? Is
1: it a tough sell? I, I think at the beginning it is. And it, and it, really, will, it really depends on where you find yourself. Like one of the gifts we had on our street was everyone was relationally displaced. Um, when we all moved on to that street together seven odd years ago, our networks kind of got untethered. Like we came from different places where we already knew who our hairdresser was. We already knew who um, our, took care of our kids. We already knew who we carpooled with. And then you move together into a new neighborhood, all of that, you're, you're a free agent to a certain extent. And, and because we focused early on relationally on our block through some block parties very early on, some of those connections were made. And so people are doing life together uh, in, a, in an amazing way. COVID has absolutely impacted that. Um, over this last stretch, so one of the things I'm excited about this year is re reinvigorating that. Um, but like I don't, now I don't even have to like I'm I'm not a hero on my street. I'm just one of the participants. I'd say like the the real ownership of cultivating uh, the connectivity on our street is now actually shifted to a few other families that have really decided they want to own that and have younger kids and and really get a sense of value from it when when they do it. So. I, I think I think you can get people uh, on that journey. you just have to ask the right questions. you just have to be willing to to take a few steps like one of the, one of the lines I used as I did this work is you, there's you, you have no idea what opportunities are out your front door unless you take that first step and cross the street and knock on the door. Um, one of the things my wife and I did early on on the street was she makes amazing banana bread so she would bake a loaf, and anyone that satellited in around us, we'd deliver that. That would open up a conversation, and then shortly after, we were inviting them over for tea and... Uh, you know That turned into, I, I go for runs with Nevin across the street. Um, we have a guy down the street, Brenton, who when it comes time for the block party, uh, he's got a connection in with a, an inflatable company with AstroJump. So he, he's our, our, our link into that. Um, there's a, a gal uh, just next door to us that um, is an amazing cook. So every now and then we're checking in with her. We have a fellow across the street from us that um, isn't able to work just due to a variety of, of life situations but he walks his dog all the time so when when it's come comes time to like hey did you you know this happened on the street that felt a little unsafe he's often one of the first people we're connecting with because there's a good chance he saw it go down right we've created that web and I think creating that web is just a little bit of intentionality and it can be quite intoxicating when you start to get the value out of it right away um, but obviously there are, there's plenty of things that can mess that up: mm-hmm. parking spats, dog poop, <laughs> development issues. Um, so I think it's a lens upon which you ha- you, you put on, uh, and then you intentionally go look for those positives instead of choo- and instead of choosing to see your neighbors as barriers or problems to solve. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: are development development issues an out- an issue out here as well? like i know in my neighborhood certainly they are as you know different old properties are looking at being redeveloped
1: yeah i mean fence lines and some of that for sure ends up happening and i I think parking would be the biggest one out here is you end up with a family with has a couple kids and now they've got three four cars out front and uh and then a house down the road decides to throw a party and now you got a a potential neighbor conflict so yeah yeah Yeah.
0: i hear the Leaf blower. I'm just going to pause for a second. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. I'll just let him go yeah, back.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> we can take a drink. Yeah. The scourge of my life. <laughs> Don't get me started on leaf blowers. Anyway, <laughs> I'm curious about the. In the Abundant Community Project, uh, you have something called block connectors. Yeah.
1: What's, what's the idea there? Yeah, so the, the block connector is somebody that has taken ownership of 20 to 40 houses. So, uh, you know, a small enough section of the city that you can really sink, sink your teeth into it and actually know uh, like it's it's not so big that that it's in, it's an impossible task to actually know the names and and a little bit of the stories of the people that that they're tasked with. So, you you take a street, you take a cul-de-sac, you take a a, a, a small geographical location in the city and you you give that person a, again a sense of agency that like they're tasked with keeping that that block that cul-de-sac connected um, and hanging out once or twice a year um, and then I know it for in Edmonton and this was a piece that um, I mean here in Calgary because it wasn't municipally supported I mean, the asset mapping and keeping data points on people that got that was a difficult conversation to have but I mean, once you find out that on your street you have a fireman, you have a nurse, you have a teacher, you have somebody trained in um, a mechanic, you can start to link those assets together as a block connector, and I mean, those become lifelong relationships sometimes, right? Like if you find a really good mechanic and they live three do- doors down from you, not only are you getting a need met, you're now building a lifelong relationship. You're you're changing the way that street feels. Because now when you drive past that person, not only are you connected in that they are giving you their gifts, um, you know them because probably when you picked up the vehicle after they changed out the winter tires, you stopped and you had a 10 minute conversation and you got a sense of that their, their kids are misbehaving right now and, and they're stressed out over that or financially they're in a rough... Like you, that requires interaction and it requires time. And I think, I mean, right now we live in a world where the number one thing we hear is we're so busy. Right, and so this is a way, and so we just naturally do not prioritize neighboring relationships because there's so many other calls on our time. This is a way I think, you know, if you have a block connector, what they do, they're they're like wooing you into life on the street. They're helping you see the value of being connected to those right around you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. What have you seen come out of that? I mean, on my own street so much just in terms of one of the one of the biggest things i've never felt safer on a street than where i live right now because i can i know the faces so when i walk up and down the street uh, i know i know who's supposed to be there who my little village is um and and then when somebody walks by that i I don't know yet um you're interacting with them from from the footing of knowing everyone else around you right there's a certain layer of security Um, that comes from that and and just comfort. You feel a sense of like, this feels like home because you know the faces, you know the stories. So that's been huge. Um, And then also it's just a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun to live on a street where uh, in the summer, everybody's looking forward with anticipation towards that block party. Like, I I mean, it's a holiday. We prioritize all kinds of holidays where we focus on our family and friends. And this is like, neighbor day is like that one holiday that focuses on the neighboring relationship, and it's my kid's favorite. They they look forward to it every year. When that bounce house gets delivered on the street, it's go time, right? And we have neighbors that bring out speakers. The barbecues get dragged out front. The ball hockey starts. We we plan games. It becomes a place on on which, um, and this is like just like the family has like the Thanksgiving meal. This is like the yearly reconnect for a lot of streets, right? Where you, you haven't seen someone because they've been busy. Now they come back together, um, and if that party doesn't happen, like in so many streets, um, especially once kids leave and you get older, older generations or the mixed generations, you can get out of that habit, and I, I think it it absolutely impacts how how neighborly that place feels, uh, how how welcoming that that street feels when when you no longer know the faces and the names. So one good block party can change how a street feels for years and years and years to come. Yeah.
0: yeah. You mentioned before how, you know, some folks come to this neighborhood kind of on their way out of the city, or they, yeah. you know, they, they've, they've worked and maybe they're retired, they come here and then they move to an acreage. And I'm curious about that in terms of the mix of people that is here in the community. Obviously, you know, there's a walkable town center for lack of a better term but there's a question of who who gets to access it and this is a question a big issue in the city in terms of our neighborhoods are increasingly homogenous economically and and to a an, to a point racially and otherwise as well so yeah i'm i don't know if that's something you've looked at in this neighborhood kind of the mix of people and who who can access
1: yeah yes so i mean the neighborhood experience for somebody living in the townhomes just adjacent to us is going to be quite a bit different than, say, on my street where we're all in detached homes. One of the, I think one of the gifts of a neighborhood or a development like Mahogany here is, is I think they've put in some intention in terms of recognizing that if you mix and match as best as possible and put in those different... So we have million dollar lake homes on an island with a gate, you know, the, whoa man, Come on now, right? But it's here, and then we have we have super high density just within walking distance. So, and then now that we also have the lake, the the pa- pedestrian corridors, these folks are hopefully mixing and connecting with each other. Um, but but you're absolutely right. Everyone's experience of neighboring, quote unquote, is going to be very very impacted by the style of housing and, and the people that are right around them. It's a whole other story to talk about what it's like to connect a floor on a condo building than it is uh, a street or a cul-de-sac. Um, different challenges, unique challenges to all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's it's doable. Um, you just have to come at it from a different angle of attack. Uh, and it again, in all of those instances, I believe it just requires one or two people... That are willing to invest the time to knock some doors uh, to create some flyers and invite people out to to meet each other Um, but it's not an equitable experience for sure Um, i mean even just on my street the fact that i i have three other families that i know that are up for this task i know i can i can boldly plan a gathering and worst case scenario is those three other families show up and we have a good time right like (laughs) so'm I'm, I'm privileged in that sense on my street um, whereas it's a whole other thing for a single mom on a floor where she's met no one to start knocking those that's really putting yourself out there um, the the possibility of rejection could be quite high uh, so I, I need to recognize that fact and and then and then you know if we were to talk about the municipality supporting obviously the supports for someone like that that needs to be considered for sure yeah yeah.
0: And you mentioned the safety of the street, and there's an interesting tension there too in terms of you have community cohesion, which is which is a good thing. But one thing, you know, in my conversation with David Goa, one question he brought up, because he was talking about how we need to make the suburbs cities. Actually, he was talking about stuff like this. He was saying, you know, there should be places where people can go for entertainment and work and all this stuff within their own community. And I said, well that's happening and that's happening in Calgary and but his question was but are they making a place for the stranger mm-hmm. and and by which he meant are, are they making a place for people who are not all the same uh, who are not all of a cer- certain income bracket etc and and I'd be curious yeah how you see that I don't know I just yeah, put that question no,
1: it's really good yeah I, so certainly in Mahogany, like we're sitting just, just to the south of us, there's going to be a massive central park. So, I mean, obviously, neighbouring um, at a small proximity level is going to be bound by those smaller geographical, whether you're on a condo or you're on a street, that's going to flavour that. But then you have these opportunities to bring the community together in a much more macro sense. Uh, and I think those are super important. And, and I also... I get quite frustrated that often, as at least in growing up, if I wanted to participate in kind of a cultural event where I grew up in the suburbs that I grew up in, we were often going downtown or someplace else. So I absolutely align with, with David's feedback in terms of like you need to create that culture and those bumping places where people can interact and find people of difference and open up that possibility of of creating a relationship with someone that's not like you in the neighborhood and I think that absolutely needs to be a consideration so I know it's a dream of the homeowners association and certainly one I am get excited about is to create some of that those more large cultural bumping place events where that central park we will have you know uh, an artist, a local artist come and play their music and then you build a bit of a festival around it and families are interacting and you know you're encouraging them to sit at tables together and to uh, share in activities together, that absolutely needs to be a part of it and I love that vision of it happening within neighborhoods uh, and focusing on making that happen in neighborhoods and not always um, having to go downtown to do that Yeah, yeah like,
0: within, within reach of people and yeah. within their daily pathways of their life. So one thing, this comes up a lot at The Sprawl, obviously given the name The Sprawl, uh, but one of the pieces of feedback that I sometimes get is people say, you know, The Sprawl seems anti-suburbs. And I I think what's kind of beneath that is a set of assumptions about the suburbs and what the suburbs are or aren't. When we think about these ideas of abundant community and isolation and all these things, it's easy to kind of oversimplify, maybe, and say, you know, if you live in Hillhurst, then that's a connected experience, and if you live in Auburn Bay or, I don't know, Mahogany, then you're, uh, that's an isolating experience. Do you feel like, or do you think that you're kind of going against these stereotypes in some ways?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think for anyone living in, Auburn Bay, Mahogany—they would kind of laugh at that in, in terms of because a lot of them are experiencing the full benefits of living in a suburb. In terms of, I mean, while there there are real issues with living on a street with with everyone in the same income bracket uh, and common stage of life, there are issues. And I, you know, was listening to the previous podcast, definitely issues. But there's also benefits. You know, those creating those social ties is a little bit easier when when you have a little bit more in common right out of the gate to, to create those connections. Um, so the 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 trick is making sure that we we don't get stuck in that, right? Um, yeah, it's no no easy solution for sure. Uh, I know. For, you know, as a councillor, newly elected councillor, one of the things I'm hoping I can do is is really encourage development like this that isn't is thoughtful and intentional about the long-term implications of what it looks like to live in this neighborhood. Uh, I know in one of the conversations around the guidebook was that public feedback to push back against um, cop- copses of single use, right? Where People have lived in that neighborhood with their large lots and, and gotten grown accustomed to it, and now redevelopment's coming in, and they're pushing back on that because they've, they've grown to love the kind of lifestyle. Uh, I, I, I think as we move towards that ideal future where there's, there's more mixed usage, where people can bump into each other from different walks of life and different income brackets, we, we, need, to be, we need to be careful that in pushing that envelope that we don't, you, you don't just create polarizations of the two. And I think one of the places where we can like really move that conversation forward is in these newer neighborhoods, because it's a blank canvas. Uh, anytime you pop up a new neighborhood, you have an opportunity to move it for, you know, move something forward. So I think Mahogany, Auburn Bay are places that we're we're starting to see see that. Um, but I, I mean, we certainly can do it with greater intention, I would imagine, in the years to come. Uh, and one of the things I'm hoping is that we can start to shift like, people's expectations in a place like Mahogany that um, they're not going to be able to access the whole city super easily in their vehicle in the years to come. Like I, I, I would like to be a part of helping push the envelope in terms of changing, changing how we get around so that these neighborhoods don't ultimately become the new ghettos that David Go would, the way he would talk about them. Um, that's that's a very dystopian future that I would like to avoid I do want to see the green line just like well, this is incredible density that we're sitting in right now this is a packed coffee shop um, I would love them to be able to walk to a green line uh, you know, hopefully before they before they pass away
0: <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll yeah, see yeah. given how it's going no just kidding I, I was actually thinking about that as I was driving out here that uh, dystopian future you mentioned I mean because that's i mean w- that's what we 're looking at for our future is that we are not going to be able to drive and we 're not going to be able to consume like we have been like that's that's the future we're headed into so as we go in that direction it's a question of what do these places what do these places look like, and can people kind of stay in place and 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 live
1: well and I think I mean that really highlights the need for for this neighboring conversation to move forward because ultimately I mean when we think about some of the pain points the pressure points in our life when the supply chain breaks down and you're unable to get your your baby foods or whatever it may be that really impacts your impacts your life I think people, and, and COVID even brought us into this, we're already looking for alternatives to create, create that for ourselves in neighborhoods. And that's one of the things that I get the most excited about. Because you think of the capacity of, of the people on one street alone, just the lived experiences that they represent, um, the knowledge that they represent, the relational nep- network that they represent. There's so much to explore. In these tight, tighter geographical places, to to build webs of resilience, where you're no longer, you no longer have to supply, get everything from Amazon. You no longer have to um, drive forty five minutes across the uh, the city to participate in an activity that you want for your kids. I I think these are going to be conversations that will increasingly become. like these watershed moments for communities forced on us out of necessity. Um, but I think a place like, um, my hope would be a place like Mahogany is ready for it. That that we're, they'll meet it with some courage. And some of that social fabric that's necessary for it will already be, will be there. Uh, one thing, I just had a conversation with YYC Growers. Uh, that They came to me. I didn't even know they existed. Here's a company that is growing food within a geographical footprint around our city and has built built an ability for somebody to get, instead of 23 cents on the dollar for that food that they're growing through a traditional uh, grocers network, they're getting 65 cents on the dollar. And that's a local innovation and something that's happening here to protect our food um, and, and to make it more and more economically viable for somebody that wants to grow food locally. Uh, so it's there 's cool things happening, uh, neighbors helping neighbors, even if it isn 't in the same neighborhood they're they 're creating these new pathways where we can be we can take care of our own needs instead of being so reliant upon external external uh, producers
0: Well, thank you, Councillor Spencer. Is there anything that you would add that i haven 't
1: asked? Oh, I think we we covered quite a bit. <laughs> Good luck as you uh, You've pieced this together, and I hope you get something great for your podcast. I just really appreciate the chance to have this conversation. So thanks for coming down to the Burbs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your time and insight. Appreciate it. End of line. Thanks for listening, and see you again soon. Listening to SprawlCast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor in chief of The Sprawl and this has been my conversation with Calgary councillor Evan Spencer. This interview was recorded in December in Mahogany, despite the best efforts of leaf blowers to ruin the entire thing. You will never win leaf blowers, you will ultimately be vanquished! Stay tuned for The Sprawl's 47 part series on leaf blowers. In seriousness, though, make sure you're signed up for the Sprawl's weekend newsletter, if you're not already. We send it out every Saturday morning, and that's the best way to get the latest from the Sprawl, including stories, Sprawl casts, and or comics, depending on the week. This episode was edited by Mike Todd. Our theme music is by Dandy, Agostino, and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell, listening to Sprawlcast. Just a reminder that we rely on our readers and listeners to support the local journalism we do. If you value journalism that connects people to this place, please become a Sprawl member today. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com.